This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Normally, we don't think of happy whenever we think about Ash Wednesday. We might think of maybe our mortality. We might think of uh, how we can be pensive, how we can be contemplative, um, all those kind of big words and um, kind of churchy words, maybe even penitent. Um, but we don't normally think of happiness whenever we think about Ash Wednesday. But I'm hopeful that um, we might shift that thinking a little bit and we might begin to see some happiness, maybe even some joy. Maybe there were some smiling faces as uh, people were eating pancakes. I mean, I just think just even the word pancakes, it sounds cool, right? It sounds like it's fun. <laughs> and so maybe that brought some people, um, <clears throat> brought some uh, smiles to people's faces. But when we think about Ash Wednesday, we don't normally think about um, happiness or joy. But what I want to say is that um, Ash Wednesday, we think about things that we give up, right? We think about the, the 40 days that we have to endure and we give things up or we take things on. Y'all kind of know a little bit about that. But I also think about how hard it is to live a disciplined life, a, a life that is with Christ, a life following after Christ. That that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And so for those tough times, I think about, okay, what is going to get me through this? What is going to get me through these tough times? So in the past, you've heard me talk about my wife, Laura. You've heard me talk about my sons, Jackson and Knox. And you've also heard me talk a little bit about my parents, um, who I give so much credit for, for raising me in the faith. And I think that, that uh, that's not lost on me for sure. I know what they did in order to um, raise me in the faith. So, for instance, my mother grew up in the Methodist Church, my father in the Catholic Church. So, my father is still Catholic. Obviously, I'm not Catholic because I'm preaching to you here and I have kids and all that sort of stuff. So, I'm not a priest, so you know that. But here's what my dad did. My dad would, uh, he would go with us at the 11 o'clock service, and I say us, so my three older sisters and my mom and I, we would all go to the Methodist Church together. This was Kelsey Memorial in Corpus Christi. But before that, my dad had already gone to his mass at 8 o'clock. So he did his Catholic thing by himself. Sometimes I would go with him, and then we would all go as a family together to the Methodist Church. So that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> He was investing in the life of his family. And it takes a lot to go to church twice in a day. Sometimes we, there was uh, the same preaching, uh, or at least there was preaching on the same text. And so it was good for him, and he still does that today. He goes with, uh, you know, by himself to his Catholic church, and then he goes with my mom um, to La Trinidad in um, United Methodist Church in San Antonio. But I also think about, and I haven't talked much about um, Reverend Juan R. Canales, or as I like to call him, Grandpa. My grandfather, uh, Reverend Canales, 
He was a Methodist minister, uh, a licensed local pastor in the Rio Grande Conference of the United Methodist Church. And he served for over 33 years. And he retired in 1994. And he served places like um, Odom, uh, Ropstown, um, Edinburgh, Corpus Christi, Kelsey, uh, Laredo, Austin, I think I might have said Austin, but then back and he graduated, oh, not graduated, <laughs> I guess you can call that whenever you uh, retire, you're graduating, um, but he retired in Kelsey Memorial in my home church. And so I knew all of that about my grandfather, uh, most of that about my grandfather, but I did some fact checking with my mom um, the other day on this. But then I, I think about the times in ministry that are a little tough. And I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like, the conversations we would have had that I could have said, okay, Grandpa, what do I do? You know, I didn't have anybody kind of leading me in through this and that sort of stuff, and this is how I did it. Don't do it this way. You might want to try this, that sort of thing. I just imagine all those conversations that we could have had um, talking shop, if you will. But here's what I do remember about my grandfather. I, I remember, yes, him being a pastor, but even more than that, I remember him just being the best grandpa ever. He took me places with him. Uh, I even went with him on some homebound visits. I went on some hospital calls and all that sort of stuff. I was his little buddy, right? I was with him all the time. And then I think about um, his... Uh, workshop and in his garage he would have this little workbench not a little one it was a big workbench and he would have some woodwork that he did because he was uh, he liked to um, be a carpenter that sort of stuff but then also he had paintings that he would do uh, and also some um, like handiwork that he was working on and I remember that but I also remember how he played the guitar so beautifully and it was mostly the acoustic guitar, like a Spanish-style guitar. And I remember one song in particular, which was Cien Ovejas, which is 100 sheep. Um, and it talks about the 99 and then going after the one, all that sort of stuff. But every time I hear that song, I can't help but think of my grandfather because I've never heard it. I, I mean, for all I know, he, he wrote it, right? Because that's how he played it, is this... Um, just masterfully and he did it perfectly so I think about that and I think about all those talks that we didn't have and then I think about the the people um, that came after my grandfather that poured into me and invested in me so my campus minister um, in San Antonio when I was at UTSA as a student Dr. David Simrod and he was there for over 30 years as well and he helped me see things in a different way. He helped me see my potential for leading, not just in ministry, but for leading in general. And I didn't really see myself as a leader, but he did. He saw something in me I, that I didn't see in myself. And he pushed me in the right direction, and he gave me opportunities to lead. And before I knew it, I was a leader. And before I knew it, I wasn't going to pharmacy school anymore. I was going to seminary. 
and so on and so forth. But there are so many people in my life that have poured into me that have invested in my future by living their life the way that they were called to. But being a disciple, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not the easiest thing in the world. No matter how holy one person is, it is extremely hard to live a disciplined life. And so there's so many temptations in our life that, that really keep us from living that disciplined life. Whenever I think about living a disciplined life, I also think about that the first of the year has come and gone. We've probably made some New Year's resolutions here and there. And some of the top ones, of course, are, I want to eat healthier. I want to exercise more. How are we doing with that? <laughs> well, let me tell you, some people use Ash Wednesday as a, another kind of starting point. Okay, so I didn't do as well as I started out with, but here's another opportunity for me to eat better. Here's another opportunity for me to exercise more and that sort of thing. But of course, there's going to be temptations time after time after time. It's just there and keeping us from living that disciplined life. So what I mean about the disciplined life is whenever I talk about eating healthy, I'm talking about maybe denying yourself some things like maybe those uh, things that are, are fatty or fried or um, things that are just not healthy for you. Whenever I'm talking about exercise, yeah, I'm talking about maybe increasing your cardio from maybe zero to one, but I'm talking about increasing your, your, your ex exercise. And all that is going to help you. But at the time, whenever you start it, whenever you start anything new, it's very difficult. It's something that, that is going to take a lot of time, a lot of focus, a lot of energy, and there's going to be time after time after time, especially in the beginning, when you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this. I don't know if I, if I really signed up for the thing that I should have. And so I think about this, and I think about also how difficult it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is that sometimes it's hard for us to, to come to church. Sometimes it's hard for us um, to go to things that are outside of church, outside of the normal schedule of things. Because you and I know we life is busy. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things that we could be doing instead of doing what we're called to do. That sounds kind of weird, being called to do something. It's kind of like being told to do it. But here, that call is an invitation. And so it's a little bit different. But being a disciple, it is very hard. It is very hard and also, doing those things I talked about before, like eating better and exercising, that's hard too. But what I want to say about that is that there are those things in our lives that, that are kind of these um, roadblocks. And we have to get through those things. We have to endure those things in order to keep on going. So how is it then that we can keep on going whenever it gets really, really hard or whenever those things are just so enticing and we have all those things around us that like, mm, maybe not today. Maybe I won't do it today. So how can we continue to run the race? How can we continue to fight the good fight and move past those temptations to stop where we are? But we have to keep on going. So perhaps we find the encouragement that we need 
by looking for the endurance that we so desire, by looking at Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is the first part. This is Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to say that the Hebrews um, letter is normally attributed to Paul. But in this case, we really can't say that it was Paul because it's more of an anonymous letter. It was attributed to him kind of like in his homage, but... But we can't really say that it was Paul who wrote this letter. What we can say is that whoever this author was knew the audience. Knew the audience so well that they knew what they were struggling with. So this audience, who the Hebrews in this case, were those Jewish Christians. Those Jewish Christians meaning that, that at one time they were uh, following Judaism. All of the laws, all of um, the, the testaments, all, all that sort of stuff, the, the canons. But then they saw that this Messiah, who they were waiting for all of their life, was Jesus. And then they, they said, okay, I'm going to continue my faith and perfect it a little bit more by following Christ. So they're Jewish Christians. And so what they had to endure was a lot of persecution, not only from those um, who they used to be with, those Jews, but then also the other people outside of that who are saying, you can't follow Christ. Do you know who he was? Yes, I know exactly who he, uh, he was, and that's why I'm following him. So they were getting it from all sides, and they had to endure a lot of persecution, and some even were put to death. This was a type of persecution that they were dealing with. Now, for us today, that's a little bit different. We endure some persecution, but not the same type. And maybe we are a little indifferent and maybe that's our persecution. It's so easy to say no. It's so easy to say, ah, I'll go next Sunday. Or it's so easy to say, ah, I'm not going to pray. Not today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. That sort of thing. Maybe that's the persecution that, that we have. But then the other thing about this, this authorship is that this person knows this community well and knows what they struggle with. They also know that there was a part of the Hellenistic age, meaning the Greek age, so it uses a lot of imagery about um, running races, about um, kind of competition and that sort of thing. And that's the language of the day. And so he uses the language of the day to talk about what he wants to talk about. So here it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, like I was saying before, this cloud of witnesses. You've probably heard this before, but I don't know if you knew what it meant. But what it really means to me, anyway, is that um, I can picture this stadium full of spectators. And they are cheering for you. They're cheering for you. They want to see you win the race. They want to see you do well. They want to see you win. They're cheering for you. But it's not just the people that you know now. It's all the people that have come before, that have, that have gone on to the great beyond, right? It's people like my grandfather. It's people like Dr. David Simrod. It's people 
before them, that have poured into them, that are all cheering in this crowd, in this cloud of witnesses. And they're cheering us on. They're cheering you on. And they want to see you win. They want to see you continue the race because it matters. So when it says the great cloud of witnesses, this is who I think that they're talking about. The other thing I'm thinking about is that these people, these great cloud of witnesses, they have lived their life in a way that has affected people like me. And so those times that they could have given up, they didn't. Those things that they thought maybe were insignificant, I was looking. Those times where they thought, it's just too hard but they endured anyway. What they did mattered. And those are the people who are surrounding us. The author continues, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So here we are. We know who is behind us. And because we know who's behind us, who's cheering for us, we can actually do these things that, is, that are laid before us. So it says, also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. So previously, a couple of uh, sermons ago, we talked about how we are, have been carrying this burden. We've been carrying this yoke, the yoke that the, that the world gives us, that somehow has convinced us that we have to have that. But we don't. That weight that we've been carrying, we, we don't need it. That sin that clings to us so hard, we don't need that. And because we can lay that aside, because we can lay that aside, then we can do even more. I have a lot of useless knowledge. I mean, that's a plain and simple fact. I know a lot about music. I know a lot about movies. And it's useless until it's useful. And so in this case, I think about uh, lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. So those things that we don't need in our lives. So there's this movie called um, Promotion. And it's about um, these two guys, John C. Riley, if you don't know who he is, um, and then Sean William Scott. And they're, they're jockeying for the same job. They want this promotion. And so in pursuit of that, they go to this um, training, I guess. And it's one of those where you do the trust falls and all that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, leadership building and uh, group building, that sort of stuff. And so they do this exercise. And so the everybody is uh, in a circle and they're kind of looking at each other and then they're told to put on a paper bag over their heads can you picture that now the the person who is leading this is saying okay now think about this remove one thing that you don't need in order to lead well so most of everybody they remove the bag John C. Riley, on the other hand, takes off his shoes. And everybody's kind of looking around. Says, okay, um, now let's think about this next time, okay? 
Um, now, one thing that you absolutely don't need at all to help you lead. And he takes off his socks and then he starts to remove almost all of his clothes. And then he is just left with his paper bag and his underwear. And they're like, what is this guy doing? And he turns to the next guy and he's like, hey, buddy, uh, I feel kind of weird. Is it? Do you still? What's going on? He's like. I don't know, man, because he wants that promotion. And then so I said, okay. So the guy who's leading goes, all right, remove your bag. <laughs> so he removes his bag, and everybody's laughing at him because he had taken off all the things that he didn't think he needed for, for leadership, and it was the bag that he could remove from the very beginning. And so I think about that as this. Sometimes we are convinced. Sometimes people have convinced us. The world has convinced us that we need these things when we really, we really don't. It's just a paper bag on our head that we don't need. And so if we remove that, then it says, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So to persevere means that you're going to continue to do this. You're going to continue um, to run this race and you're going to be able to do it because of those things that you've let go that you didn't really need. And the author continues. So once we know that, we know that we can do this. Now, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Okay, before we go any further, um, Jesus is the one, the pioneer, the one that started this faith. And the perfecter of our faith. Well, yeah, he's perfect. He is fully human, fully divine. And he did some amazing things. And he said some amazing things. And oh, yeah. Uh, he conquered death. So, yeah, let's listen to him. Because this, who better to follow than the one that has made it all the way through? The author continues, Again, Jesus, if you didn't know who he was, let me remind you. Again, whenever you are in the thick of it, whenever you're, you're running this race, I mean, I think I used to run cross country, so, I mean, you can't tell now, but... Whenever I was in high school, I used to run cross country and um, there were times that I wanted to quit, but I knew that the finish line was over there and I wasn't there yet. I couldn't quit. But whenever we get to that point, we're like, oh, just exhaustion. We might forget why we're we even running in the first place. So this is what the author reminds us of, uh, of is this is who Jesus is. Jesus, who for the sake of joy, for the sake of joy, that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So for this, we, again, that joy, we don't necessarily think about joy whenever we think about Ash Wednesday. We don't necessarily think about joy when we're running a race. But this race, I mean, this joy was set before him, so this is something he's already taking with him. And I almost see a gleam, a glint in his eye because he already knows how this ends. And he continues. This joy, because he has that, now he knows why he's doing what he's doing. Now he knows why he is enduring the cross. He knows that he can do it and he knows that he will do it because he knows what's on the other side. And disregarding shame, I like this part because what, what they had wanted to bring shame upon him 
was putting him on the cross. And that was supposed to bring some shame. Look at him. Look at who he thought he was, and he wasn't really. He couldn't do anything. Ah, but just you wait. Just you wait. Because what was meant to bring shame and disrespect, God flipped it around. Because that place of shame, that place of of dishonor, God flipped that around. Because he went through that, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the place, that cross, that was meant for just a horrible person, a person that had no respect, is now in the highest seat, the highest place of respect, next to God Almighty. And the author concludes with this. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. You know that you have a great crowd in the stands cheering you on. This is our great cloud of witnesses that have come before, that are here now. And because of that, we can run this race. And oh yeah, we run this race because there was somebody that ran this race before us, somebody that prepared the way, somebody that perfected faith, and his name was Jesus. And this is, in case you forgot, this is who Jesus is. He's the one that overcame death. He's the one that was on the cross and flipped it upside down, flipped the paradigm around, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That is our perfecter of our faith. Jesus. And so I think about all of this, and I think that there are so many times in our lives that we want to give up. We really, really do. But what would we be missing? Because the way I see it, there's two, two ways of going about this. Whenever we're faced with that, that opportunity to either continue or to stop, There's two ways of thinking about it. The first way is if we stop, we would get our reward, if you will, immediately. We would get some rest. We would get to stop. We wouldn't have to go any further. But here's what we would miss out on. We would miss out on what happens next. What happens if we continue going. What happens with our lives If we continue going down this road, running this race, what would God do with our lives, not only for us, but for those in our future? Because what we do matters. What we do now matters. So that's the first way of looking at it, is if we stop. We get a reward now, and that's it. The other opportunity would be if we continue going, if we endure. And if we endure... It's going to continue to get hard, harder and harder. And it's going to be difficult and we're going to want to stop even more. But keep on going. Endure. Because if we endure, think about first all those people that had to endure, that poured into us, that invested in us. And now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to to do the right thing as often as you possibly can. 
Now it's your turn to continue to be that disciple that Jesus calls us to be. Now it's your turn to endure. And so the way I see it is we're kind of standing at a crossroads where we look behind us and we see all the people that have invested in us. We see all the people that have sacrificed, that have given up, that have taken on so that we could have the life that we have now. And they're not wondering what if, because they didn't stop. They kept on going. And now it's up to us. So we take that in, we, we receive that, that they have invested in us, with their spiritual currency, if you will. They have invested in us. So we look backwards in appreciation and with thanksgiving. And then we look forward to the future. And we see all those opportunities for us because what we do now matters. What we do now matters. So whenever we don't think that people are looking or watching or listening, they might be. And we don't know about what we're doing now, what that's going to look like. Because we're kind of delaying our gratification. We're delaying our rewards. And what we come to find is that it's not even about us in the first place. It's about all those that have come before us, that have sacrificed for us. It's about all those who we are doing this for now. It's about our family. It's about our friends. It's about those who we haven't even met yet. But that our life matters. What we do now matters. And we have to endure. Because God is going to use our lives, and I know it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be something. And God is going to use that. And God is going to take that and invest it in the future. But it's not even about us. It's about those that have come before us and about those that will come after us. So here we are at a crossroads. I know that it's hard. I know it's hard to be a disciple. I know it's hard to be disciplined because I know that there's going to be those special occasions where, you know, it's somebody's birthday or something and maybe we have a little bit of cake, right? We can do that just this once. It's my cheat day. Or maybe we don't have to take that walk or um, lift those weights or whatever the case is because, well, I did a lot yesterday or I'm going to do a lot tomorrow, so I I'm okay taking this day. Just taking the day. Or maybe, maybe it's okay not to come to this event or that event or to, to pray for that person or whatever because it's just, there's a lot going on. But you're at a crossroads. And I hope that you don't have to live your life thinking, what if? What if I would have persevered? What if? I would have endured. How much could I have endured? I wonder. So now at this crossroads, we look back and we give thanks. And we look forward in hope to the people that come after us. Because it's not really about us. But it is about what you do. What you do matters now. 
and what you do now matters in the future. So I hope that you look at this opportunity, this opportunity of Ash Wednesday as something that we can do now, starting today. And when you take on those ashes and we think about the mortality and we might think about, um, yes, well, maybe not uh, all of this is going on at one time, but we will eventually have a time when we are no longer here. And we could think about that. Or we can think about that mark on our forehead with ashes and say, all right, I'm going to wear this proudly because this is my opportunity. This is my sign of victory. <laughs> I see this with joy now. I see this as not something that I have to take on that is just going to weigh me down even more. But I see this as something that I can let go of things that I don't need in my life so I can run faster, so that I can run farther, so that I can do more, so that I can expand God's kingdom here now with this act. Because who knows what God is going to do with what you're doing now. You heard this before, but... Yeah, prepare to be amazed. Live in that expectation of what you do now, God is going to use to glorify his kingdom. And then you might not receive the reward right now, but who knows what type of things you are opening up, what type of opportunities that you are laying before those that would come after you. So the invitation is yours. My hope, my prayer is that you would see Ash Wednesday as the beginning, as an opportunity to endure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.